Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Is hunting biblical? It's a big question, and we've got big answers on today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host, George Kanidis, and today we're going to answer the question, is hunting biblical? Now, I have gotten some hate mail when it comes to hunting, people saying, you know, God doesn't want you out there killing his animals and, you know, this and that and and people just throwing all kind of stuff at me. And, uh, you know, of course, in addition to doing the New Hunter's Guide and working my job, I'm also a credentialed minister. Uh, I'm an assisting pastor at my church. I help teach in my church's Bible school. So I am not at all afraid to tackle this question. And tackle it we shall. So first things first, is hunting a biblical activity? Well, you've got to go way back to the beginning. Now, I know some of you guys, you might not be interested in this question. By all means, skip this episode. But we're going to go after this and give you a, a, a foundational, concrete response to this question. So we go back to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. Verse 28, God said, And then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over all the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created the fish, he created the birds, he created the animals, and then he created man. And he said to man, here, you take over now. You run this thing. You subdue it and have dominion over it. Now, if you look at these words and what they mean, and I look back in the original languages this word dominion, it means to, to have authority over, to have rule over, to have control over. It, it means the, you know, Adam and Eve were entrusted with authority to, to rule over, to govern, to manage, 
to, to have control over the earth and their descendants. But this other word, subdue, is a different word. It's a stronger word. It means more than just have authority. It literally means to, to constrain, to bend, to, to, to change, to, to bring something into alignment with your will and desire. Uh, it's connected to the word bondage. It's connected to, to very strong wording about literally constraining and taking and, and, and just bending and using this thing to your will. So he told them, don't just have authority over it. You subdue it. You change it. You, you bring it into subjection to how you want to see it, to, to what you want it to be. And over everything, all of the creatures. So people have said, well, you know, you know, an animal's life is worth just as much as a person's. Well, no, that's, that's not at all true. In fact, Jesus said that... Um, you know, a person's life is worth more than many sparrows, but God still keeps up with every sparrow. So how much more does he keep up with us and pay attention to us? So that is not the case. And we have been given authority and dominion and the, the, the charge to subdue this thing, this creation. So that is a, a completely different thing. With this verse alone, if man wanted to hunt, he has the authority, he has the right, in fact, he has the charge to do so. Now, people then talk about, you know, if they're studied a little bit, they go to the next verse, which talks about God has given uh, all of the herbs of the field and the seeds and the fruit for, to be food for man. So people say, see, God gave man uh, plants and seeds and fruit to be his food, so you shouldn't eat the animals. Well, that's an argument from silence which is a poor argument, and you shouldn't make a doctrine on that. He didn't say don't eat the animals. He said, here's food. Now, to be fair, that is sort of the implication. So I, I, can, I can track with that. There's a very real possibility that back in those days, man did not and did not need and had no reason to eat animals. If you recall back then, Adam and Eve were essentially... Their bodies would live forever. They did not have the, the cellular decay and the aging and things that entered into the world when uh, Adam and Eve sinned and death entered in and imperfection and, and flaws entered into the world and began to work in the human body and in the animals' bodies and so forth and so on. They didn't have any of that back then. So they may very well have had no need, no reason, no use even to, to eat animals. So... so that is a legitimate point. So then people say, well, see, there it is. Case closed. Well, no, you got you to gotta look a little bit further. Got to look a little bit further ahead. In Genesis chapter 9, uh, verses 3 through 6, we see what happens. Noah comes through the flood and gets out of the ark and builds an, an altar and makes an offering to God for saving him and his family and all of the animals on the ark. And then God speaks to Noah and said, now get this, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So God says to Noah, everything that moves, everything that lives shall be your food in addition to the herbs. Just like you got the plants and the seeds and the fruit. 
He gives Noah a charge in Genesis 9-3, everything is your food. All of the animals are for your food. But he gives us one stipulation, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood in it. For surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. And from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood will be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So God's saying here that anyone that kills a man, his blood will be required of him. Whether it's a person or an animal. So if an animal attacks and kills someone, it is scriptural. In fact, it is a requirement that that animal be killed. If a person kills someone, that person's blood is required of them. And the scripture says that man is the one to see it through. We're supposed to enforce that rule. We're supposed to to do that. So, you know, you see things that, that happen in zoos and safaris and all kinds of crazy situations where someone gets killed by an animal it is our duty to kill that animal. It is our duty to, to take care of that. Uh, so, you know, an animal and a person do not have the same weight, the same value, the same meaning in God's eyes. But this one stipulation he gives us, don't eat the animal with the blood. Pour the blood out. Don't eat the blood because the blood is the life. So not only are we supposed to eat animals, he gives us instructions here, even this early in the Bible, on how to do it. So you you gotta you, you people they they study a little bit and they look back at Genesis one, but they don't read this part where we are supposed to eat animals. They are for our food. Now it doesn't mean we have to. You know, there are people who are vegetarians because of health reasons. Um, there are people who are vegetarians because they just don't like meat. They the, the, the taste doesn't do anything for them. That's all well and good. That's fine. But don't say that you're supposed to be a vegetarian. Don't say that's, that's the way we're, we're supposed to be. Don't say it's wrong to eat meat. You know, you eat what you want to eat. I, I don't have anything against that. But do you come out and say, well, you know, that's the right way. Well, this is what God said. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I've given you all things, even as the green herbs. So the deer, the turkeys... They, the doves, the, the pheasants, and everything else, they are given as our food. Now, I want to I just pause here for a minute and take a step back. You know, back in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. To tend and to keep if you look up those words, if you dig a little deeper, it means to, to manage, to cultivate, to, to work on, to, to uh, almost to improve, to keep up with this thing, to maintain it, to, to work on it, to, to cultivate it. So this is part of the original assignment was to cultivate, to tend, to maintain everything that God gave us dominion over and and the orders to subdue. So now people say, well, you know, we shouldn't do anything. We should just let nature be nature. And, and, you know, God prefers, you know, trees and woods to be untouched and, and just exist in their natural state. 
Well, it, it wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense then for him to make a gardener to tend it and to cultivate it and to work in it. Now, I've had the, the opportunity to visit some places that were literally untouched by man. When I went to Costa Rica some years back, we got to visit a cloud forest, which is a rainforest in the mountains that is at the level of the clouds blow through. And we're talking about areas that, that as far as anyone knows, no human beings ever cut down these trees. You're talking about trees that are so massive, unless you've seen like the redwoods of California, you could not even believe how tall these trees are. Vegetation so thick and so dense and vines and creepy things and bugs that are so big and all sorts of animals and just completely and totally untouched. And it's raw. It just, it looks, it feels raw. There's a majest, there's a majesty to it, but it feels so raw, almost too raw. You could not walk on across the ground from one tree to another. It is just so, I don't know another way to say it, but, but raw. And then you, you look at the other side of it. You look at a manicured garden with flowers and trees and bushes and shrubs and all sorts of plants that never look the way they do unless they've been tended unless other plants have been removed from around them, unless they're given the right sun and the right water, unless they're given space and, and their roots had the ability to, to, to spread out and they can become big and beautiful and you get bloomage and flowers and seeds and, and all sorts of colors and things that you would never see in the woods just left to themselves because all the trees and all the plants, everything's competing. But when man comes in... And, and, and works on nature for its good, beautiful things, amazing things can happen. So we talk about like the, the Wildlife Commission and the Game Commission that are out there managing, you know, public game lands and state forests and, and clearing undergrowth and, and cutting things down for regeneration and new growth to happen and, and working on habitat and things like that. Well, they're actually, in part, working on and fulfilling man's original assignment. They, they've got scriptures for those jobs. That's a real thing. So, you, you've got this, you have this fallacy that we're just supposed to leave nature completely untouched and unmodified. That, that was not the reason we were put here. We, we were put here to have dominion over it, to subdue it, to tend it, to cultivate it, because it would take the hand of man to see it become the fullness of what it could be. Now, you know, of course, when God made everything at the beginning, he said it was good. We attach this word perfect to it. We say that was perfection. Well, it was not flawed, but it was not until he made man and gave man the assignment of what to do with these things that he had made until they could come into their fullness. So there was no flaw in them, but it took the hand of man to manage it, to cultivate it, to tend it, to have dominion over it, to subdue it, to, to turn it into something beautiful. He, the raw materials were all there and they were excellent. And then it took, God gave the charge to man to do even more with it. So 
you you you've got so many philosophies that are out there and it's just based on feelings it is just based on feelings and opinions and sometimes nonsense you know we are here to have dominion we are here to subdue we are here to cultivate and to tend now of course you know we can have a negative effect on this place too we can burn it up and cut it down and destroy it all and you know there's no reason we should do that and that's not good to do and that would be out of line with the original assignment with the original commission so you know that's not what i'm advocating for that's not something we should do but we're put here to subdue this thing and to tend this thing so there should be a balance We are using it and we are shaping it and molding it and crafting it to be what we need and what we want and what's helpful and what's useful. But at the same time, we're to respect it and we're to value it because God created it and gave it to us to manage. So there's supposed to be a balance there. Uh, you know, there, there. You can go too far in either direction. To where we love trees and not allowed to ever cut a tree down to slash and burn, and neither of those is right. And then when it comes to hunting, you've got the the same balance that they're supposed to be. So we've got that. Let's move forward a little bit here. So we go to to Genesis chapter twenty five and and twenty seven and around that area. We we have a guy named Isaac which if you remember a guy named Abraham, the friend of God, the one through whom righteousness came to the world through faith, his son. And Isaac loved game. He loved venison. Now, you can go back and you can debate some of those Hebrew words. Does that really mean deer as we know it? Well, it probably wasn't whitetails because I don't think they had whitetails in the Middle East. But they did have deer. They're over there. I've been there. There are deer there. Um, they're smaller deer. And there's other, you know, there's other animals over there that are in that same family that are bigger and, and so forth and so on. And back then, they may have had even more still. Uh, so he loved game. He loved the taste of game. And it says that his son Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. And the other son, Jacob, was a mild man dwelling in tents. So we've got this son who is a skillful hunter. He's not the first one the Bible talks about as being a skillful hunter either. But he is the son of Isaac. And Isaac has a covenant with God. He has he is the man of God. He's the lineage through which God's going to bring his people and salvation into the world. And his son's a hunter and he loves it. He sees no issue with this whatsoever. Now we know a little later that his wife and his other son would would use this to to play a little trick on him, and that's a different that's a different message and a different subject. But we see here that his son was a skillful hunter. Now as we move forward even more, we get to the Levitical laws. All right, so the Levitical laws came with the law of Moses. And in the Levitical laws are everything that the children of Israel were supposed to eat or not eat, do or don't do. There are, what, 600 and, and, what, 613 different laws, something like that. And they had all of these regulations and stipulations. Some of them were ceremonial. Some of them had to do with um, teaching principles and concepts that would foreshadow to the time of Jesus. Some of them had to do with health and wellness. Some of them had to do with... Um, 
you know, honorable practices and walking uprightly and, and being people of integrity and so on. And there's all these rules about animals, which ones you can eat and which ones you can't eat. But if you go even further, there were times where under the Levitical law, you would have to eat meat. In particular, maybe the best known is the Passover. When the Passover was celebrated, every family or group that would come together, they would kill the Passover lamb, roast it, and they would eat it, and they had to finish it. And if they couldn't finish it, then they had to burn what was left. And it was a requirement of the law to walk righteously. So under the law, you could not even live righteously without eating meat. It was not even possible. It was required. So this shows us a number of things. One, not only was it okay, it was mandated. But two, it must have been something that was valuable and important to the human body to have. You know, perhaps in Adam and Eve's days, they did not need meat for the nutritional value for the protein and, and all the other things that come with it. But by the time the law came and, you know, lifespan had decreased, people had, had degenerated, they weren't living as long, you know, these bodies weren't working as well as they had been in the beginning, you know, God institutes of times where meat was mandatory. Um, and, you know, there's, there's things that we get from meat that are valuable and they're hard to get other ways. They're difficult to get other ways. Uh, they're challenging to get other ways to, to, main, to maintain everything that we need. So there's, there is value here beyond just preference. You know, people that are vegetarians or vegans have to work harder to get the nutrition that they need. Um, and, and there are difficulties that come with that. There are di diseases and disorders even that can come along with that if they're not able to get certain things or enough of certain things. On the other side, you've got people that eat nothing but meat. And you're not going to find a scriptural case for that either because there were times where we, talk, we, we see in the scriptures the core staple diet of people was grain much of the time. You would have greens, what we think of as salad in the spring and in the early summer when things like that were abundant. And then you would have grain through the fall and the winter and you would eat meat. You'd have to go out, find the animal, kill it. And you would eat meat not maybe regularly, but certainly not every day. Maybe not even every week. It would, probably, it would really depend on you know, how well off you were. So there were times where there were special feasts and sacrifices and things where you would eat meat even for weeks potentially. And then there were other times where the primary core staple diets would be grain and wheat and barley. So you have all of these sort of, you know, good diets, fad diets, all sorts of things, and they're out of balance. You have meat-only diets. You won't find that a scriptural pre precedent for that. You have gluten-free diets. You won't find a scriptural precedent for that. Wheat and, and barley and grain was probably the staple of a diet. You have dairy-free diets. You won't find a biblical precedent for that because goat's milk was a core food item under the law that God prescribed for his people. So the you know a, a real diet, a good diet, the best diets are going to have a balance. They're going to have a balance of these things.
Now, you know, we could get real far into this and that's not the purpose of this episode. And I understand there are people who are allergic to everything that I just listed. So, you know, you, you have to take that in mind. You have to take that into account. Um, but uh, to say that it's wrong to eat or drink those things, to say that it's unhealthy to eat or drink those things, is, is an unscriptural position. It's based on feelings, opinions, and sometimes bogus science. So the, the best diets are the ones that have a balance of meat and grain and dairy and other things. And, you know, you do also have to recognize that what they ate back then was probably a different quality than what we have now. You know, some of the bread that we eat, the flour that we use has had extra gluten added to it. So the kind of bread that we're eating today can actually cause people, potentially, to develop sensitivities and allergies to things because gluten is added to stuff. But that doesn't mean that we just throw out everything. We gotta look for a balance and you know, you have to be intentional about your health and I'm not here to, to preach that to you, but it's all part of this conversation so it's worth mentioning. So we move on. Leviticus 17.13, this is part of the law. Which means if you broke this law, there would be punishment and there, or it would require sacrifice. And it says here, Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. So he's here, he's here giving regulations. God himself is giving rules and regulations about hunting. He said, "When it doesn't matter who you are, if you go out and you hunt and you catch any animal or bird that you're allowed to eat, then you need to pour out its blood first. You don't eat it whole. You don't eat it while it's still alive. There's other laws about that. We're not going to get into that for obvious reasons. But the, 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 you got to really look at this. He's giving ways that we're supposed to hunt. Well, if we weren't supposed to hunt... That would have been a great time to mention that, right? That would have been a perfect opportunity to say, no hunting. No, but he says, when you hunt, hunt like this. Hunt like this. He's giving us directions on how to hunt. We look at Proverbs chapter 12. It says, a lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is a man's precious possession. A lazy man doesn't roast what he takes in hunting. He just leaves it there. He's going to get to it. He's going to gut that deer eventually. He's going to butcher that deer. He's going he's gonna to skin that turkey or pheasant eventually. He's going to get that meat in the freezer sooner or later. And then it ends up going bad. And he doesn't even pay any attention to it. He just leaves it there. He doesn't even eat it. He goes hunting. He kills it. And he just leaves it there. And the Bible says that's lazy. That's not the way you're supposed to hunt. That is not being diligent. That is not the right way to do it. Now, Proverbs is not part of the law. It is post-law. So the rules in Proverbs have truth and implication to all generations, um, Jew or Gentile, those under the law or those not under the law. It's wisdom. It's a book of wisdom. So we see here, in, a, in this situation that he's giving us instructions on how to hunt. So when you go hunting, pour out the blood. Don't drink the blood. Don't eat the animal while it's still alive. 
make sure that you get that animal home in time to, to, to get it cleaned up and taken care of so you can eat it. Because that's diligent, that's honorable, that's the right way to hunt. This would have been a great time to say, you know, uh, an evil man goes hunting, right? Because, you know, you wouldn't give instructions on how to hunt right if you're not supposed to hunt. But no, he's giving us instruction here. He's talking about the right way to do it, the diligent way to do it, the honorable way to do it. So we see multiple times here instructions on how to hunt, on how to do this thing, on how to go out and, and get the, and, and what to do with it and so on. So again, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but when people say, oh, well, you know, God doesn't want you to hunt. Well, he's given you instructions on how to hunt. So if he doesn't want you to hunt, then why would he give instructions? If he doesn't want you to hunt, why would he tell you how to do it diligently? Why would he tell you how to do it right? So that doesn't make any sense. That's just imagination. That's just ideas people have cooked up, things based on emotions, based on vain philosophies, based on what they think, what they feel, what their opinion is, but it has no base in truth. Now, I should mention, just because I touched on this earlier, I should have said it earlier, but when he's talking about you know what we're supposed to, what we're allowed to eat. So we see before the law... God told uh, Noah, anything is fair game. During the law, he limits that to certain stipulations and things. After the law, in Jesus' time and after, he, he, he takes away the ceremonial qualifications of those things. So, there, there, there's nothing you can eat that's going to be charged against you as sin. However, that doesn't mean all things are healthy and everything's a good idea to eat or a good idea to eat all the time. So there's wisdom to get from looking at some of those dietary regulations and stipulations in terms of what should be a regular part of our diet and what shouldn't. It's not about what's okay to eat and what's not okay to eat from, from a religious standpoint, but there's still wisdom you can glean from the, if the scripture had an animal that was forbidden, you can't eat it. It's called unclean. It's called dirty. Not allowed. Well, under the new in the New Testament, it, it is no. There is no longer a. You know, it, it's not something that is religious or ceremonially or or connected to sin. But it still may not be healthy. And you also have to keep in mind back then. They did not have the same level uh, and understanding when it came to cooking and sanitation and food preparation that came later. So there are things that, you know, in order to, to, to cook it and clean it and, and have it be safe and healthy, back then would have been so unpredictable, maybe you should just avoid it entirely. So there's a lot that goes into this, and this is not meant to be to go too far down that road. But I just wanted to touch on that because I could see some people you know, just the gears turning in their mind going down that direction. So I wanted to touch on that. And here's another point I wanted to hit. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 22. He said, And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to defeat or to destroy them all at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. So he's talking here about when they go into the promised land, 
God said that I've given you this land and I'm going to help you drive out all of the inhabitants, all of the enemies who are there. But I'm not going to do it all at once. Because if I do it all at once, you're going to be overrun by beasts. You're going to, the country is going to be overrun by coyotes. Overrun by, in those days, lions and bears and predators. There'll be nothing to keep those animals in check. They'll just devour your livestock. They will surround your homes. That You will have all kinds of problems because of that. So in order to keep predators and menaces and nuisances at bay, he said, I'm going to drive out your enemies slowly, little by little, so then you can take over and then you can start running that area and you can keep the, the beasts of the field at bay because we don't want to just empty out the whole nation, all this square mileage, because then all these beasts are going to come in and cause you problems. So there is this understanding here about predators, about menaces, about nuisance animals. We see David, when uh, animals came to attack his sheep, he killed a bear and a lion, hand to hand, or with his staff, or whatever he used. He, he killed a bear, and why did he kill that bear and that lion? Because it was came to attack his sheep. It came to attack his flock. It came, it was a menace to his property. It was a menace to his resources and his assets. He did not kill those animals to eat them. He killed them, not even in self-defense. He killed them to keep his property and his animals and his livestock safe. So there is, there's an understanding here of hunting and killing animals that aren't for eating right? Some people say that, well, you shouldn't kill a coyote unless you're going to eat it. Well, you, you couldn't find a biblical precedent for that idea. In fact, coyotes would be listed under the, the animals in Leviticus you're not allowed to eat. But if they are a menace and a nuisance in your area, if they are um, preying on wildlife, preying on livestock, preying on cattle, you have not just the, the, not just the permission, but in some ways you, you, you are charged to keep them in check. You are charged to subdue that predator population, to keep things safe, to keep things in balance. It's part of our assignment. We're actually supposed to do it. Now you can go out and you can, you know, you, you, you may not have an overpopulation of something. Does that mean you still shouldn't hunt it? Well, according to the original Simon, he said, have dominion over it and subdue it. So if you want to hunt it, you should be allowed to. Now, you have to take into account the responsibility and respect for the creation and the assignment, which is kind of where the game commission comes in because people have demonstrated that, you know, just being honest, they don't really have the conscience to manage this themselves. So the game commission comes in and they establish, they study the wildlife, they study the balance and they establish rules and regulations and seasons and limits to what you can hunt and what you can hunt in order to keep things in balance. So in a sense, if the game commission says it's open season 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to hunt this predator, there's a reason for that. It's because they're out of balance. It's because there's too many of them. It's because they become a problem. 
if they say well you're only allowed to hunt this predator or whatever this you know three week season well they're they're working on managing the population within the balance of the ecosystem so if the population of bears spikes then the bear season is going to increase it'll be longer it'll it'll have less restrictions from it as population decreases the season's going to decrease it's going to become you have less time and, and less flexibility in how to hunt that wildlife so the game commission kind of operates as our responsibility and our conscience when it comes to the original assignment to keep animal populations in balance they study it they set protocols they set rules they set seasons they set limits how much is too much what should you hunt when and how often and so on so that's part of their job that's part of what they do now we should have the wherewithal to do that on our own without the game commission but you and i know that people left to themselves uh you know just to be fair not governed by god's word not governed by their conscience not governed by being led by the spirit they will just do whatever they want to do and they will mess things up so we have to have formal rules and we have to have formal enforcement and so on but the reason that the game we have all these seasons and things in the game commission is because they have established this is what we need to do to maintain balance to maintain healthy ecosystem healthy wildlife populations this is what we need to do to tend and to keep and 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 to have dominion and to cultivate our natural resources now they can make mistakes they're only human but at the same time this is their business so if the game commission says it's okay to hunt it's fine it's in season it's the right time you can t- shoot this many of them then that is within the original assignment that we're given so people say well you shouldn't you know you shouldn't hunt coyotes unless you have a personal problem with coyotes in your area well the game commission says that we have too many coyotes statewide and we need to reduce those populations so when you go out and hunt a coyote even if it's not causing you physical problems living downtown you're actually helping people elsewhere you're helping animals elsewhere you're helping livestock elsewhere you're helping the balance elsewhere you're actually in a sense helping the state and doing the state a favor um so forth and so on again assuming they don't make mistakes and they don't misjudge these things but you know it, it, this is their business so they're going to know more about it most of the time than you or I unless you're a wildlife biologist and I'm not so I will uh, I will defer to them since that's part of the rules also but you know this the question we started with is hunting biblical hunting is absolutely biblical it is 100% biblical it it is almost required it's not required but you can see from from some of these different stipulations and places it's almost mandatory um you know early on you know we talk about the passover they had to get those lambs well you you know you and i we just go to the store even back then they would have flocks but where how did they get those sheep and those lambs and those flocks they had to go out and hunt them and trap them and find them so it was actually required somebody had to do some hunting in order to to fulfill the requirements of the law in order to let's start some flocks let's let's domesticate these animals and so forth and so on so in a sense there was you know 
I might be stretching a little here, but for in a sense, there was a time where some hunting was almost mandatory. But is it mandatory for us? Certainly not. Um, but it is definitely included within the original assignment. So the original assignment we see is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over everything that's here. Uh, the assignment was expanded some when it came to Noah's day. Our assignment was expanded even more when, it, when Jesus was here. Because when in Genesis, our assignment was be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. With Noah, our assignment was expanded to what we're uh, supposed to eat and, and fill the earth. And those things, when it came to Jesus, our assignment was expanded to make disciples of all nations. Teaching them about the sacrifice that Jesus did. About his, his being born, his, his dying for our sins on, on the cross. Being resurrected the third day. Paying the price for sin so we didn't have to. And then teaching people and helping people to become disciples. To, to learn the fullness of the faith. To learn the scriptures. And then to, to be able to walk in the strength and integrity. To then reproduce that in others as well. So... But with every assignment that came, you know, different authority came, different rules came, different things came with it. But the original assignment is still there. It's not something that just goes away. As long as we're here, we're supposed to keep up with this thing. We're supposed to, to, to watch out for this thing. It was, it was part of our assignment. So we have a measure of responsibility for it. So is hunting biblical? Yes. Absolutely. You know, if you've ever had any issue of conscience when it came to, to hunting or whether it was okay or whether it was not okay, if you did it within the, the, the regulations of the Game Commission, of those who set the laws, as we're supposed to defer to the ones that set the laws, then we are 100% within the scriptural bounds of hunting, whether it's hunting animals for food, whether it's hunting animals to, to protect livestock and to protect uh, other animals and to control the populations, to subdue and, can, and cultivate, whatever the reason is, even sport, even if it's just pure sport, he says, have dominion over it and subdue it. Bend it and, and, and mold it and shape it. And for you, you're doing it for sport. But for the game commission to allow that hunting is because there is a need to control that population. So your desire to do it for sport is balanced inherently, unless you're a poaching, it's balanced inherently by the Game Commission saying we should manage this population by this much. So even though for you it's sport, the effect of your hunting is in order is to balance the populations. It is to help maintain the proper wildlife ecosystems and habitats and so on. So you may not be doing it for the purpose of wildlife management. And you may not be doing it because of Genesis chapter 1. You're doing it because it's fun. But the ultimate result is still according to the original assignment. And it still falls within we have dominion and we have charge to subdue it but to do so conscientiously, to do so with respect and honor and responsibility. So, um, you know, th we have to balance all of these things. We have to keep these things into account. Now, people talk about, well, you know, 
in my area, uh, you know, I can get as many doe tags as I want, or, you know, on my farm, I, you know, the game commission will give me 30 doe tags a year. So I went out and shot 30 does last year, and now there's no deer in my property. And they go 10 years and there's no deer there. And they blame the game commission. Well, the game commission had a policy for that area for managing the deer statewide, but you did not operate conscientiously in your area on your property in terms of managing the wildlife that you had authority over. So even though it was legal for you to get all those tags and to shoot all those deer, it was not the right thing to do because you were not taking into account what was right for your property and for the population of deer there. You went out and wiped out the entire population. There's not going to be any population on your land. Now, the species is not going to suffer. Statewide, things are going to be just fine. But you may go years before having any in your area because you did not operate conscientiously and with responsibility. So you have to, you have to look at it also in terms of you can't just leave everything to the Game Commission because they're operating at a macro level statewide. When you're operating at a micro level, you need to think beyond the game commission because they can't be there to look over your shoulder and tell you exactly what you should do on your property. You need to think and be responsible for what's the best thing for this area. If I have 30 dill on this property, should I shoot all of them in order to decrease the population? Probably not. Well, how many should I take? Well, it depends on why are you taking them. Do you need 30 for food? Nope, I don't think you could eat that many in a year. Um, well, you're trying to reduce the doe population to make room for more bucks, all right? How much do you need to reduce it? Well, how big's the area? How much food's available? Uh, how over, what's your estimate to what the overpopulation is? Maybe you need to take 20%. Maybe you need to take 50%. You go out there and take 100%, though, I guarantee you, you're going to have, uh, it's going to hurt you more than help you short term and long term. So you need to be conscientious. You need to balance the wildlife. Um, I've known of people that, you know, some of the best turkey hunters you could ever imagine. They have written what many consider to be the definitive and comprehensive works on turkey hunting. And they talk about how, you know, they had uh, a couple areas that they hunted, there were private property that a whole bunch of people pitched in and, and, and paid the lease on. And, you know, they had a, it was a mile square. And I think they had two square miles of hunting property, which is whatever many 600 acres or something like that. So they had a policy for turkey hunting because in those days, in that state, you could have, oh, I don't know if it was five or so turkey tags or something like that every year. But they had a policy that they would always leave X number of mature gobblers on every so many acres of land. So no matter how much they wanted to hunt or what opportunities they got, if they got into an area and there were not enough gobblers on that area, they wouldn't shoot anymore because they were managing the population. Now, the game commission said you can shoot them all. You've got the tags. You can do it. But they knew better they were more responsible to say, well, if we shoot them all on this area, there's not going to be any here for a while. So they conscientiously manage the number of turkeys, always make sure they did not take too many to, to risk hurting or damaging the population. They could legally do it 
they could they could do it without you know any any fear of uh, disrupting the population statewide. But in the area they had authority over, where they had dominion, where they were able to subdue, they acted with responsibility and and with integrity and with diligence to understand the wildlife balance on their property. And they all work together to maintain a healthy balance, um, regardless of what the opportunities was or, or their desire for sportsmanship or to, to go sport hunting or whatever. They took steps to maintain a good balance. And that's the way all of us should hunt. That is the way we should pursue this thing. That's the way that we should, you know, we, we should look at this thing. We should walk with responsibility. We should walk with integrity. We should be conscientious. We should think beyond just the rules of the game commission because the rules statewide, uh, we may need to, to be even more conservative in our area because we may have less deer in our neighborhood than they do statewide. So we should manage what we do and what we don't do even do a tighter level at times because we need to micromanage it. The game commission is, ma is macromanaging. So uh, within those stipulations, within that framework, hunting is absolutely, absolutely biblical. So there you have it. I may have gone a little longer than we needed to, but I felt like it was an important topic to address because people have literally thrown it at me time and time again. So I just wanted to take the time to lay the case out uh, systematically and, and somewhat thoroughly and, and get that all together and get that out there. So please head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Uh, give me some feedback. Send me an email. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Check out the show notes for this episode. Look at all kinds of other episodes that we've got on all different kinds of hunting, whether it's deer hunting, pheasant hunting, um, dove hunting, turkey hunting, coyote hunting, all different kinds, whatever you might be interested in or learning more about, head there, check it out, leave us some feedback. So till next time, God bless you guys and go get them in the woods. Mm -hmm.